Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week and thank you for joining us again. And I trust that you are enjoying this series that we're teaching from Ezra and Nehemiah that we are calling Roadmap to Reformation. Uh, this is the second uh, portion we're going to do on the Ephraim gate because what we're doing is showing how that each one of these 12 gates of Nehemiah correspond to some aspect of the restoration or reformation of the real city of God. Now, uh, I don't want to take a lot of time in review because we've done something like 30-some programs on this, but as we've looked at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, books with, along with them Haggai and Zechariah, which we're going to continue to do, what we see is a powerful picture, I believe, of a road map to Reformation. What we're showing you is that these were old covenant types and shadows and pictures that find the greater fulfillment, first of all, in the first century with Jesus, who is the true rebuilder and the true chief architect and the chief cornerstone and the gate and the way and all of those things. We talked about the sheep gate. He's the sheep gate. He's all of those things. Uh, we, we, we started showing you how they fit, especially through the books of Zechariah. We're going to grab that again in just a little while. But through Zechariah, especially as he is prophesying and preaching to these people in a first, or, or, or in, in, uh, during this time of Ezra and Nehemiah, about four to five hundred years BC. He is talking to them concerning rebuilding, but he starts to prophesy of a greater fulfillment when he says, Behold, your king comes to you riding upon a colt, the fold of an ass. There's a man whose name is called the branch who's coming. Then they, he says later on in the chapter, What will you give me to buy me out of the covenant? And they weighed out for me thirty pieces of silver. So we start seeing messianic prophecies being released through Zechariah that we know were fulfilled in Christ. Because in the New Covenant, and I'm not going to take a long time to qualify this, you've got to go back and listen to some of the stuff that we've archived on YouTube and on our podcast to get all the details of this. But in the New Covenant, the city of God's not a place. It's a people. It is the bride, the Lamb's wife. In the New Covenant, the tabernacle of God that God is building is not a building in the Middle East. It is a people that are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being chief cornerstone, and we together build a habitation of God through the Spirit. We are the house that God is building and restoring. Last week we started to talk to you a little bit about the Ephraim gate, and we're going to go back and talk about that, and we're going to do it in tandem with the water gate because both of them are together. So to give you the text, I want to go to Nehemiah the 8th chapter, verse number 9 through 18, it says, And Nehemiah, which was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord our, your God, mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a song we sing a lot. I remember singing the chorus, The joy of the Lord is our strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. 
and all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make mirth because they understood the words that were declared unto them. And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. The Feast of Tabernacles is called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It has several names. It's called the Feast of the Season of Our Joy. It's called the Feast of Ingathering. It's called the Feast of Nations. It's called the Festival of Dedication. It's called the Festival of Lights. There are different names by which it's called sometimes, but mostly it's the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in their courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of Ephraim. The reason I want to really put an emphasis here is because they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths at the water gate and at the Ephraim gate. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths, and they sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read the book of the law of God and kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. Now I want you to see that they did that at the water gate and they did that at the Ephraim gate. Now in the beginning, they began to do this, but when he began to read the words of the law in verse number number nine of Nehemiah 8, uh, the people wept when they heard the words of the law, and they mourned and they wept because what would precede uh, the Feast of Tabernacles would be an afflicting the soul and the great day of atonement. Now, what I want you to see is, is that, first of all, I, I said this in the last segment, but I will repeat it. Repentance in the New Covenant is not just a repentance from sin. I'm not saying that that's not there, but I'm telling you there's a lot of stuff that I believe God is calling the church to repent about right now. And, and, I, and the word itself, the word to repent means to change the way you think. It is the Greek word metanoia. And I think one of the things that we need to change our mind about is what covenant we are under. In this book, and I highly recommend you get this book off of Amazon or our website, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, I talk about how John the Baptist declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent again means change the way you think. And in this book, what I talk about is the kingdom of God is one mind shift away. What he was trying to get his first century audience to repent about or to metanoia, change the way they think about, was what was governing them. Because under the old covenant, it was the law that governed you. And in the new covenant, it's the Holy Spirit that becomes the governor. I don't think it's an accident that in this chapter alone, it says that Nehemiah was the Tershatha, which means the governor. 
Now, I've taught you all along probably for 30-some weeks now that Nehemiah's name means the comforter. He's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Listen, one thing we've not done taught people in the New Covenant is how to be governed by the Holy Spirit. We think the Holy Ghost is just when we get a shout on us while we're in a service. But I want to tell you the Holy Spirit is the very reason, one of the very reasons that Jesus said, it is expedient for you that I go away because if I don't go, the Comforter will not come. But when the Comforter comes, He will remind you of all things that I've told you. So the Comforter becomes the governor in our lives. What governs us in the new covenant is not rules on rocks. It's a relationship with the Holy Spirit Himself. As I shared with you last segment, uh, when the, the children of Israel came out of Egypt delivered by the blood of a lamb, then they came across the Red Sea, so they were blood-bought, water-baptized. Fifty days later, they come to the foot of Mount Sinai, a cloud comes down on the mountain and God gives them the law and 3,000 people drop dead. In the New Testament, Jesus is the real Lamb of God. John the Baptist points Him out right here on the river said, right there's the Lamb. So we're delivered by the blood. And after Jesus is crucified as the true Lamb of God to make atonement for our sins, they're in an upper room and God gives them the Holy Spirit exactly 50 days after the Passover. God gives them the Holy Spirit at the Feast of Pentecost because the word Pentecost means 50, and this time 3,000 people are added to the church. Under the Old Covenant, 3,000 people drop dead. Under Moses in the New Covenant, 3,000 people are added to the church so that we've come from the Feast of Passover to the Feast of Pentecost, and then we come to the Great Day of Atonement, which is the afflicting of the soul, where we need to understand that Jesus Christ has already made atonement for us, and oh, I, I feel the Holy Spirit, and that our morning and our, our 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 morning days and our time of afflicting our soul in the sense of sadness. He said, "You know what? All the people wept when they heard the words of the law, and they." But he, he said, "This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep." For the, all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Let me tell you something. If you preach the law, you're going to get people to weep and wail, and they're going to cry and boo-hoo. But let me tell you something. When you see in Revelation chapter 21, in the renewed city of God, it says God will wipe all tears off of all faces. That's not because you went to heaven someplace, but it's because you got a revelation of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Then they're singing the song, Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every nation and kindred in tongue. And there is a river that starts to flow out of this city, probably through a water gate that is telling you, you have been washed. See, the, the, the water gate was symbolic of being washed by the water of the Word. You know, Ephesians 5 says this. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might present her to Himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. He, he, that's not something He's going to do. That's something He already did. He already presented us to Himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing. And He did that 
when he loved us enough to give himself for us. The day of atonement is a day of afflicting the soul. It's a time to get this thing between your ears. See, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. And the truth of it is, there's a lot of stuff that's true of you in your spirit that you don't know in your head yet. But the time of afflicting the soul is a time to come to the revelation and the shift and the change of your mind. And like I shared with you before, this book called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which is another book you need to get, talks about the seven churches in Asia in the book of Revelation and what they needed to repent of or change their minds about that would lead them uh, into a new covenant paradigm. Matter of fact, even I think it's the second church, he tells them, the devil will cast some of you into prison for 10 days, but be faithful to the death and I will give you a crown of life. The 10 days is the 10 days from the first day of the seventh month to the 10th day of the seventh month. The 10th day of the seventh month was the great day of atonement. So what he's saying is the devil's going to cast some of you into prison until you get a revelation of the day of atonement where Jesus has redeemed you from the curse of the law and your morning days are over and it's about the time to have a celebration called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's time to receive a crown of life, which is more than just a big old gold crown set on your head, but it's an understanding between your ears of the life of God that you've received as the, as the, as the fulfillment of what he's done. Now he continues to wash us with the water by the word because when I speak the word over you, it continues to wash your feet. It continues to wash you and to cleanse you because what I speak over you is not how bad you are, how filthy you are, what a dirty, rotten scoundrel you are, but I speak words like this. You're the righteousness of God in Christ because he that knew no sin was made to be sin so that you could be made the righteousness of God. This river of God flows out of the book in the book of Revelation. It says, I saw a clear river, pure as a crystal, and it flowed out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. So when you start preaching a message of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and your message is flowing out of a slain Lamb, you're preaching from the water gate, and that water gate continues to purge and cleanse and wipe all tears off of all faces. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 21, it says, And God shall wipe all tears off of all faces. And then he says to them, Come and let him that's thirsty drink of the water of life without cost. So it's what you're drinking that's going to move you away from the sorrow and the mourning and the woe and move you into the day of atonement. It's going to be the very thing. It's the repentance of the church. I believe it is at Smyrna that says, and Smyrna means the suffering. In other words, what's going to happen is that you're going to realize that my suffering is not in my future. My suffering is in my past. Oh, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an, a, an accident that even in the book of Revelation, it opens in chapter one. And John said, I was on an island called Patmos. The word Patmos there is the is a word that the, the word name Patmos means my killing. So John is on an island called my killing, but he's there for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word testimony there is the Greek word martyr. So he's there on an island called my killing to get a revelation of the martyrdom of Jesus Christ, the testimony of Jesus Christ. And what John realizes, he said, I heard a voice behind me as it were of a trumpet. Now a trumpet many times in the scripture was a ram's horn. And a ram's horn comes 
from the death of a male lamb. Now we know Jesus was the male lamb, and so the message that's being declared in the book of Revelation is through the death of a male lamb. It's a message declared to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And what it's saying, when you get a revelation of the testimony of Jesus or the martyrdom of Jesus Christ, John said, I heard a voice behind me. What he realized while he was on an island called Patmos, which means my killing, is that he realized I heard a voice behind him. He said, my killing is not in my future. My killing is in my past. And when you hear that ram's horn sound, you're going to find out that your killing is not in your future. Your killing was when he was lifted up, you were lifted up. His death was your death. What you saw when I taught earlier concerning the fountain gate is there was six steps from the water gate up to, I believe it was, the, uh, up to the, the throne of David. There was six steps. Those six steps, I taught, is that Jesus was crucified, died, buried. He was quickened, He was raised, and He was seated. That's what He did for you and as you. Your identification with those six steps to the throne and ascends out of the water gate is I was crucified with Christ. I died with Him. I was buried with Him in, in water baptism. I think the water gate also speaks of water baptism and the circumcision of heart and our identification with the new covenant through water baptism. That's why they baptized in the, new, in the Scripture was it was equivalent to circumcision in the old covenant for the circumcision of the heart. It was the token of the covenant. And it, the six steps that ascend out of the water gate was I, he was crucified, died, buried, quickened, raised, and seated. I was crucified with Christ. I died with him. I was buried with him in baptism. I was quickened with him according to Ephesians 1. I've been raised with him, and I'm right now seated with, with him. That ought to cause shouting to take place in your life. When you start to afflict the soul and repent, it's going to bring you into a day of great rejoicing and a day of great celebration in the Feast of Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement. After 10 days, he said, the devil will cast some of you into prison for 10 days, but be faithful to a death. The faithfulness to the death is the faithfulness to his death, that you have already been a partaker of that death the death of that lamb and the death of that atoning sacrifice. As they continue to offer sacrifices at the Feast of Tabernacles, we'll see a little bit later on, they were always done in numbers of seven, 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 trying to point to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, because the Bible number seven means perfection. When you see that He was the perfect sacrifice, there's going to be a river that starts to flow out from there that's going to wipe tears from your eyes, and you're going to find yourself in a celebration at the water gate where you're drinking from the water of life that flows without cost, and that your identification with Him in water baptism is going to be a, 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 a symbolic move that you've crossed the Jordan, you've entered into your promised land, and that the death of Jesus was your death, and you're identifying with that. And you are going to have a crown of life, and you are going to be faithful and not hurt of the second death, and that you'll receive a crown of life. That's more than just something on your head, but an understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ will begin to cause you to move away from your sorrow and your pain and into the day of rejoicing and God wiping tears off of all faces. I believe that is a 
powerful, powerful symbolic thing. And as we continue to preach the Word, there's a continual washing of the water by the Word. Now that happened at the water gate and at the Ephraim gate. The second thing I want you to see is that Ephraim means double portion or doubly fruitful. What you see in Zechariah 9 as he begins to again, Zechariah is a contemporary. He's working with Ezra and Nehemiah during this period of time. The people, have, Ezra has read the law. The people have seen their guilt because the purpose of the law was to conclude Romans 1, 2, and 3, was to conclude all under sin so he could have mercy on all to tell you there's none righteous, not even one under the old covenant. Nobody made it in by the works of the law, that it had to be hearing by the hearing of faith. And Romans 3 goes on to say that nobody's justified by the works of the law. That's why faith came, so that we could be justified by faith, and faith alone, just like Abraham, was justified by faith without the works of the law. If that don't want to make you move into a day of feasting and joy and celebration, I don't know what will, and to send portions to them who for nothing has been prepared. That's what I'm doing on this television program is I'm trying to send you portions to whom nothing has been prepared for people who have never heard the gospel before. Because the gospel is the announcement of good news. Now I want to get this yet because I want to pick up uh, on the next segment. But he says, Rejoice, O greatly, daughter of Zion. This is Zechariah 9, 9 through 17. O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king comes to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the full of an ass. Now we know that Jesus did this on Palm Sunday. It's probably a pretty good possibility that this will air during the Passover uh, season. But Jesus comes into the city on the, uh, the colt, the full of an ass. You know that story from the New Testament. But he said, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and, uh, and the horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. His dominion shall be from sea even to sea. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have set forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render unto thee double. In other words, God said, I'm going to give you double for your trouble. The atoning work of Jesus Christ has shattered the, the, has shattered the bow of the enemy that is against us. And he goes on to say, because of the blood of this covenant, he has lifted us up out of the, as prisoners, he's lifted us, he, I've sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. In other words, you're not in a place where it's dry. You've come to the water gate and you've come to the Ephraim gate where you've recognized I've already received double for my sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He so overpaid this thing, hallelujah, uh, that he paid a debt he did not owe. And I mean, he did it so completely with the perfect sacrifices that are symbolized in the sevens of sacrifices during the Feast of Tabernacles, that he's lifting us as prisoners out of this pit with no water in it. Let me tell you something. The scripture says that unclean spirits walk through dry places. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks through dry places. The only place you're going to have trouble with devils and unclean spirits is when you're where there's no flow of the river of God. 
where there's no understanding of the revelation that's flowing out of this slain lamb that I'm talking about. When you don't come near the water gate, you're going to still be in the bondage, and many times the bondage, listen, some of the greatest bondage that you can have is the bondage of religion when you stand under an old covenant. Heard a pastor say something recently. He said, you know, he was sitting in a uh, an addiction class, and he said these guys were going around talking about all their addictions, and they looked at him and said, Pastor, you've probably never had any addiction like this. He said, oh yeah, I've had an addiction worse than any of you in this room. They said, oh yeah, Pastor, what is that? He said, I was addicted to religion, because I think sometimes religion is harder to get delivered from than substance abuse, because people want to stay under that bondage, and it keeps them as prisoners shut up in a waterless pit where there's no revelation of the water of God that flows freely to us that continues to show us that we've been washed by the water, by the Word, when He presented us to Himself, not having spot, wrinkle, blemish, or any such thing, that this Ephraim gate speaks of the fact that you've received double for your trouble. He said, even this day do I declare that I will render unto you double. In other words, we're about to get the double portion. The double portion is the portion that belongs to the firstborn. The double portion is not a measurable amount. It was the double portion given to the firstborn because he was responsible to take care of the rest of the family, so the firstborn got the double portion. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. He received the double portion, and He is adequately supplied with the inheritance to give to us to supply all the needs of the rest of the family because He has received double for our trouble, and He has paid the full price in full, and now we can return as prisoners of hope. I like that. Return to me. I am irrevocably, unapologetically, and unrelentlessly a prisoner of hope in this hour. I believe that God is not about to pour out His wrath on America. Somebody said, God's about to destroy America. I said, no, I think Americans are destroying America. What God is doing is holding out His hands and saying, I'm trying to give you a roadmap to reformation where I can hold out my hand and say, I've already paid the penalty for your sin. If you'll simply receive receive the forgiveness of sin, that water will wash over you and begin to wipe all tears from your eyes, and you will come up out of a pit that has no water in it as a prisoner of hope. Note this, because of the blood of your covenant. This blood of your covenant is in the context of, Behold, your king comes to you riding upon a colt, the foal of an ass. And it's in the context of that being fulfilled. And he goes on to say that I have filled, he said, When I have bent Judah for me, in other words, praise, and filled the bow with Ephraim. In other words, he's raising up a people who've received a double portion who've got a praise on their lips, and he's shooting them as an arrow into the earth, hallelujah, like the sword of a mighty man, so that we can return. And, and, and understand verse 16 says, And the Lord their God shall save them in that day as the flock of His people, for they shall be as stones of a crown lifted up as an ensign upon this land. For how great is His goodness and how great is His beauty. Corn shall make the young men cheerful and new mine the maids. He's restored it to us. Well, we're out of time again. Uh, we really do need your help to stay on the air. If you want to sow a seed into the ministry, just go to our website. There's a place where you can give via credit card or PayPal. 
You can also call the number that's on the screen, and if you don't get an answer, please leave a message and someone will return your call. Or you can send a check or a money order to the address that will come on the screen. But we do need your help, and we appreciate all you do to help us stay on the air. God bless you. Join us again next week at the same time. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When He uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.